Alright, we are back with episode 64. Will you still need us? Will you still feed us now that we are 64? I don't know. That was very good. Thank you. I knew you'd appreciate that. Yeah. Um, so we're just going to jump right into it. As usual, we're going to take a deep dive into the River of Hope. That's just how Mike Peters would announce this song. <laughs> Let's not go there. <laughs> Let's not. We're going to take a deep dive now into the river of hope. Oh, good lord. <laughs> <laughs> we love you, Mike. <laughs> oh man, how how can you go on from that? <laughs> well, uh, I'll make an attempt. Uh, and uh, long-time listeners, if you have memories that stretch way back into episode sixty-two, I popped a trivia question there that stumped Tom, and the time has come to reveal the answer. Because River of Hope is the actual song that was picked as a fourth single in one individual market. And that was the Dutch market. So in the Netherlands, they actually got River of Hope as a single. Wow. Never knew that. That's interesting. It's it's not a... I I actually don't know how well it did. But the fact that uh, they did release it as a single there and nowhere else is as interesting as the fact that it appeared at all. But it makes sense that this would be a single cut because the band has played this song live from time to time. It's one of those tracks that it's never been the the main representation of Peace in Our Time in any set list, but it's been there from time to time. And if you go to the official YouTube channel of Big Country, you will actually find a pretty recent video of uh, Simon fronting the band and playing that song uh, while Derek was also still in the band. So unlike most of the songs on the album, this has been played here and there over the years. So I think the band is a little fun of this song. And uh, so that makes sense that they would pick that as a single over perhaps uh, From Here to Eternity, which was proposed, but it was never a song they, they really played live on tour at all. So... There you go. That's that's your trivia answer. Nice, nice. Another time they played this song was Eclectic. And uh, that is, without question, my favorite version of the song, the, the Eclectic version. And that's because they reworked the song a bit uh, to, uh, to a degree that some of the issues I may have with the song on the album were kind of fixed for that version. And I just think, holy smokes, what an improvement when I heard it. I saw the track listing for Eclectic. I saw that River of Hope was the first song, and I thought, okay, that that might be interesting. And I, I don't know if I expected much, but it, it ended up being a genuine wow moment when it came on. Stream that's 
it's, it has a lot to do with the guitar line they added from uh, from Pass Me By. Just adding that line to the beginning of the song and playing in between all the verses added so much to the song. And also uh, the little westerny twang to uh, sort of leading into each uh, each verse. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. There, there's a playfulness to that version, which is totally absent from the album version. So that that just makes it so so irresistible, uh, because the song always needed that type of guitar line, in my opinion. Uh, it um, I, I kind of go a little back and forth on on how I like how the song starts on the album and how it goes in the verses. Uh, it it kind of works, but there's uh, the funny thing is that when you say that. Um, Stewart is on record. I, I wish I had it, but he said that the demo of the song was much more Celtic sounding and much more. Um, I, I believe that the eclectic version really, instead of adding, I think they were going back to his demo version because he's been yeah. on record saying how his demo was much better and he liked it better. Um, so I'm quite I, sure I would have liked it better too. Yeah, <laughs> because I hear what's kind of going on. The, the starting with the drum pattern and and Stuart just singing over it and not much else until the band slowly start adding the guitars. So uh, it it's kind of a song that works and I kind of see what they're going with it, but it's a little repetitive. It it uh, not like super repetitive, totally grinding me down. But uh, especially over the course of the song, there's not a lot going on there's not a lot of variation musically in the verses and when the guitars come in and could provide sort of a lift they just add to that repetition by just playing over and over again the repetitive guitar line and over and over and just just humming that almost made me yawn it's it's really not much that that's um that's a weak point of this song and i was wondering to myself and what you said now may, makes perfect sense that there would be more and I was kind of suspecting as much and it's a, always a question what goes on in the studio and what is stripped back and is, is this yet another Peter Wolfism to make this song more basic and more um, Neanderthal rock almost and I'm not saying that as a slag that this is an actual term from the 60s where we have bands like the Trogs are kind of known for their Neanderthal rock which is very basic riff playing over and over again. And I think that eventually developed into the, the hard rock of the 70s. And this, for big country, is falling back into very basic uh, rock rhythm uh, and not much else. And that kind of is surprising to to have a band like Big Country, known for their multi-layering and so many things going on. And here you have a song where it's almost nothing going on. So uh, uh I, I don't hate it. I don't have a problem with it, but it's kind of, it prevents the song from really blossoming like it did on Eclectic and like I'm sure it possibly did on that demo. So uh, the bridge is better because then there's an effusion of melody at that stage, which really helps when he thinks I'm going to find it, I'm going to prove it. That whole sentence, uh, 
it it uh, it breaks the monotony of the verses. And when they go into the chorus, that also works fine for me. It's not perhaps their their best chorus ever, but it does sound like big country to some extent, even though it, it still has that polished aspect, as does the whole song. But um, it is very clean for a song with such, such a biting riff going on here and there. So that's a little surprising. But the, the infusion of melody and the variation in what they're playing actually helps a lot, I think, because the verses are so basic. The chorus seems like an oasis of music in comparison. So <laughs> that probably makes it seem better than it is. But uh, that, that's kind of the music of the song. There's not tons to mention it, uh, mention there. Uh, the eclectic one was interesting. The fact that they still keep playing this song is interesting. Um, they do revert back to the uh, album version when they play it for the most part, uh, which, you know, I, I hoped they there would be room for them to be a little more adventurous than that, I guess. But uh, it's a song that... Uh, it was always going to work better live than in studio because of that drum thing. And you have a chance to perhaps engage with the audience and get something up. And it's kind of a good rocking beat. It's a good song to say, yeah, it's one of those. So that I can see how that, that works. Um, as far as the production, this song was clearly not produced as a big country song. This was produced as a modern 80s rock song for radio, which happens to have Big Country playing on it. Um, so even though the song was clearly written by the band, it uh, it doesn't sound much like them. And the song suffers from the production and direction of a man who didn't know what Big Country was all about and who didn't want to know. Uh, and this falls into the inspirations uh, from Starship that I know Peter Wolf wanted to make an album modeled on Knee Deep in Hoopla by them. And this song sounds like a couple of songs from that Starship album. Uh, I, um, so, so that is problematic. And it's it's kind of sad that he takes a beautiful Celtic Lair demo to turn it into a song like that. But despite all of this, I, I don't hate the song. I don't have a huge issue with, with it. It's, it's, it's okay. I quite can enjoy it at least. And in the case of Eclectic Version, I love it. Uh, but I do have an issue with how the song ended up on the album. This this is one where it's hard for me not to hear that the song has a much higher potential than what ended up on the album. And this pinpoints to me why listening to the full album is something I almost never really do. And I still feel a bit sad about what could have been here and there. And in, in many ways, for this album, defeat was snatched from the jaws of victory. They were primed and they were armed with some of the best songs ever uh, with the REL tapes. So they went through this incident called the neutering. And I think River of Hope was part of, was neutered as well. I think this could have been a, a much better song on, uh, in most other circumstances. So uh, that, that's how I feel about this song. It's, it's a decent song. I hear really the, um, the potential that was lost. And I hear a lot of uh, things that aren't very big country-like. Uh, I didn't mention the lyrics yet, and uh, they they kind of have have both kinds. I really like how the, the first verse in particular. I think that's that's the the good bit of of, of these words, uh, which is something Stuart would do from time to time. Make a story uh, based partially on it. What seems like a legend or a myth or an adventure, and it's time to put on the Indiana Jones hat basically because he describes this unknown cave in the dungeon depths where a stream springs up that will save the world which uh, eventually will 
is the source of this river of hope, which is a beautiful uh, sort of picture he's painting there. So, so the emergence of this stream and where it's hidden and how that can uh, can save us all is uh, is very nice. It's good storytelling, and I, I wish at this point uh, and onward in his career, Stuart would more often do storytelling like he did on the first three albums. There's a lot of stories there, uh, partially mythical, partially just cop and rubber stories. But he did that from time to time. And that was something that he did less of and delved more into the personal relationships fair and the commentary on the world. And this song is interesting because it has one leg in each of those camps. The first part of the song is the, the mythical storytelling on the emergence of such a source. For subsequent verses, he starts falling into what is examples of wrongdoings and examples of things uh, going wrong, which he did more of on later albums as well, uh, where he describes sort of a, a nuclear a chemical plant where the junk flows in is one verse. You have the, the swamp, the ghetto where a mission was lost, dope is king. Uh, so it's environmental, it's, it's human nature, drug peddling, and uh, all these things that are wrong with the world. So he's going to find this river of hope and show the world how to use it. The world needs hope. And uh, he sort of takes the burden on his shoulders to go out there and uh, and uh, really show the whole damn world how to use it. Because like I said, we lost this river for years. We, we lost hope, but now we're going to try and do it again. Which ties into sort of the new optimism of the whole peace in our time theme between East and West and, and stuff. That 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 is a source perhaps for that hope. So uh, I think uh, the song kind of works. It's a very good idea for, for a lyric. Um, I, I like perhaps more the storytelling aspect than the examples of wrongdoings which he would fall into, but uh, it it works. It's it's not a bad lyric. It's uh, it's actually quite decent, quite entertaining in places. So that's uh, more or less what I have to say about this song. Nice. That was a river that was, of thought. <laughs> that was good. That was um, yeah. I mean, you you were very much in line with my own feelings about this song. I remember you know back to the old dorm first listening experience. I do remember hearing those drum parts um, come on, and I do think this is a classic Mark Brzezicki drum pattern. And I know he's proud of it because he's often played it when demonstrating his style and when he's done little drum clinics or drum drum demonstrations. This is one of them that he will play, and. I think this is one of the one of the standout Mark tracks on the album from from a drumming standpoint. Just love it, and I remember hearing that for the first time and thinking, "Oh, okay, something big is coming now. Something really great." And it it was good. I, I like you. I like the song. I I don't dislike it by any stretch. It's, it's a good song. But yeah, that that da 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 part that you referenced, I do remember hearing that and thinking oh, that sounds kind of pedestrian almost for for big country. It, it was definitely too. Too simplistic, maybe too too classic rock kind of thing. Um, but and as you say, the the eclectic version. There's something about that that just uh, it just really works better, I think. And and I do believe that that was kind of a hearkening back to the demo that Stewart referenced. And I wish I could find that that comment that he made, but I know that he did because I read it a number of times. And I think he talked about how it had different guitar lines in it and that kind of thing. So I think this is probably one of those instances where we have to, you know, maybe blame Peter Wolf for taking some of those elements out of the song 
but it does still have a big country feel in a lot of places. Like you say, the chorus sounds very big country. Just that I like how it goes into that major key progression. Um, it's funny though that the line, "The River of Hope," um, I'm going to find it. I'm going to prove it. Show the whole damn world how to use it. I remember. Um, that's a. I think that's a great part, by the way, musically especially. It just is a great little bridge from the from the verse to the chorus it's like you know the pre-chorus type thing or whatever you want to call it i get confused with all that stuff too but yeah it's a great yeah it's a great little part um but i remember reading an early review for this album right after it came out and uh it was an american review obviously um of which i don't think the album got a got a ton of those really but i remember reading it at, at a mall somewhere and there was a magazine that reviewed it and i remember distinctly them like picking that lyric as a way of mocking the band. And they, they were saying kind of like, um, listen to this line, you know, I'm going to find it. I'm going to prove it. Show the whole damn world how to use it. How pretentious, how, how, um, you know, how pretentious is Stuart Adamson to say? That? <laughs> and I think that's kind of ridiculous. And that's not a, not a fair point really, because clearly he's, he's more or less talking about, you know the character in general it's not it's not about Stuart Adamson going out and figuring out how to save the world it's just it's kind of this lone character that he's talking about in the song but um i always thought that was interesting and for some reason that's always stayed with me um just a couple of things musically that i'll mention about the song besides the drums which i think are the standout part um i i do like a lot of the the guitar uh thing little guitar sounds that go throughout the song um there, there are, there's a lot of stuff like feedback and weird little guitar effects and pick scrapes and all this weird guitar stuff that I do think is pretty cool, especially kind of leading into that last verse. solo in this song if you could call it that isn't really a traditional big country solo it almost kind of harkens back to the uh, king of emotion solo it's very blues based and the outro of the song is what i'm really thinking of with a lot of little bluesy riffs type of things going on It's a, it's a good song. It's it's one that I will listen to a lot when I pull this album out, but it's nothing that completely blows me away or, or makes me feel like this is necessarily classic big country. In the context of this album, it's uh, certainly one of the rockier songs on the on the album. Um, maybe maybe the most rocking song on the album, really, uh, next to Peace in Our Time, or they might, you know, stand side by side in that with that distinction. But lyrically it's kind of it kind of goes back to what i said about some of the earlier songs on this album it's kind of an early example of stewart going into that writing style where he's mentioning all of these different things that uh, aren't really related but as a whole they relate back to the whole theme of the song and i think that's i think we can sort of look at peace in our time as the point where his writing style lyrically took that turn and he seemed to really keep going with that for years later um throughout the rest of his career 
It's kind of an in-your-face song about the decay of society and the typical idea of, in society of someone finding something good and people just ruining it because they're people. Sometimes the human race is given absolutely marvelous gifts. And we take those gifts and squander them just because we're human beings. This is all about that. It's called River of Hope. So I guess it's more of a, a commentary on human nature, this song. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it's a good tune. I really like the live versions better. Even the more recent live versions, I think, have been more, much more spirited. And um, classic Mark drums. And I think, I think my favorite part of the song is that third verse. The swamp of the ghetto where the mission was lost Where the dope is king and the silver boss That's the trash and wreckage from the garbage drops That's the oil slick where the jail boat dies To a hole in some sea at the nation's end Where the submarine is freedom's land If we need that river like we did before I love the way that feels. Even on the album version, it's just the drums are kicking in and there's really nothing else happening, but Stuart singing to the drums. And um, that's kind of a rarity for Big Country. Usually they have tons of other stuff going on, and I think that's a really effective part of the song. But um, it's a good it's a good little focused rock track. On Peace in Our Time, it stands out pretty nicely, but put up against the rest of Big Country's kickback catalog and the, the other, the more rocking songs from that probably doesn't stand up that well, but... On this album, it's um, maybe one of the one of the more rocky highlights, I guess you could say. No, it's a medium plus sized fish in a small pond. Yeah, I think so. And actually, when I look at my rankings, I've I don't even have it in the top five. It's number six for me. But um, as I say, a lot of these are very similar when you get past one or two. But anyway, this is my number six. Okay. Yeah, for me it's number five, so it's it's very close. It barely scraped in the top half. Yeah, and it's uh, like I said, a decent song, but the placement for both of us, it's kind of in no man's land in the album, which is a comfortable spot. It's not in the lower half. It's it's not really a top song, but it's sort of sits there as a a decent album track. Yeah, definitely. Hi, this fine and Tom. It's Richard here from sunny South Africa. Strangely enough, Peace in Our Time is my favorite big country album. I'm probably in the minority with that comment. But the reason is as follows. It was in late 88 that I heard this album for the first time. And it was my introduction to the band. Subsequent to that, I've become a huge fan. I love all the albums. And uh, Peace in Our Time has a certain special place in my heart. On the album, I'd say that the song Time for Leaving is one of my favorites. And uh, it's because of the time and the space I was in when I heard that song. Guys, you've done a fantastic job so far. Please keep up the good work. Thanks very much. Signing off, Richard from sunny South Africa. I worked in this place With friends I knew here 
All right, in this place, this is one of the more interesting songs on the album, but maybe not always in the best way for me as far as interesting goes. One more time, go back to the first dorm listening experience because this one actually has a memory associated with it that I'll never forget. And again, I was listening, I was listening to this with my friend, and we had gotten through almost the entire album, obviously, by this point. And we got to this song, and that piano introduction starts, and I think we were both kind of looking at each other a little bit oddly, like, wow, p- piano in, in a big country song. I haven't heard that before. And then I'll never forget this. When that one note comes in that is kind of out of place, and we'll play it here. When that chord hit, I remember my friend just burst out laughing, like hysterical laughing. And I was taken aback, too. I I think it it just that chord seems normal now because I've listened to the song so many times. But I don't know if it was just my my musical palate wasn't, (laughs) I don't know, um, mature enough to see that chord coming because it's a very jazzy kind of chord, uh, a bluesy almost R&B type of chord that kicks in there, and I was not ready for it. And when it first hit, it sounded like the guy was hitting a piano key that was out of tune or hitting the wrong key or making a a mistake in the song. It just seemed so out of place. And I remember both of us just like laughing at that, like, what was that? We even stopped the the tape and went back and played it again from the beginning of the song. And, um, you know, finally we started to get used to it, uh, but it never quite... It never quite made sense to me in terms of big country dumb. Um, it's it's one of the th- this song to me is it's full of some great things, and the great things would be the sentiment of the song. Some of the lyrics I think are really good, and I love how Stewart sings in the song. I think it's uh, an emotional vocal performance, and or lyrically the the song really is is very typical big country it's about a, the working class it's about the decline of the working class it's something that that lyrically could have easily sat on steel town in in a lot of respects um just for the just for the uh just related to the subject matter of it all the years i worked in this place the friends i knew here i loved every face Love the smoke, the heat, and the noise. But the prophets do smile for the black suited boys. Oh, angel, it's coming down stone by stone. It's breaking up home by home. Take it away, take it away. I mean, it's clearly about almost a uh, an industrial type of town that that its existence depended on the industry that supported the people who worked there, and very much like Steel Town in a, in a sense, the song Steel Town, and now it's coming apart. It's being taken over. Corporations are buying certain things and taking over the land, and we've got 
lines like a supermarket needs the land and I have no rights, et cetera, et cetera. So Stewart's painting a really bleak picture of a way of life that's ending a community that's being torn apart. And I think that's one of the interesting things about the song is that he really, he really paints a nice picture of this community that's in place, friends that he knows, um, children, uh, that they raised. He's aware of all of them. It's like, they are all aware of each other and what each other brings to this community. And clearly there's years that he spent there. Um, the prophet's too small for the black suited boys. I think that's a, that's a great line. And that really sums up this, this song. And, you know, in, in a lot of ways, it probably sums up the, 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 the status of the band at this time, um, with respect to their record company. And it, in a lot of ways, this could that line could be turned back on the record company. They're trying to figure out a way to maximize big country's profits, and and they see, you know, Steeltown didn't do what they wanted it to do. The Seer did much better, but they really want more. They want more from the band. The black suited boys wanted more, so they brought in Dave Bates, and Dave Bates brought in Peter Wolf, and let's make this something that's going to bring in those profits and bring in. Uh, more accolades and bring in more more record sales, et cetera, et cetera, and at the yep. ex- and all that is at the expense of something beautiful. And uh, so you could look at this song really as a as a metaphor in some ways for not to sound too melodramatic here, but as a metaphor for for the band in a sense. Um, yeah, I'm not. Uh, that, it's a great one. And uh, Mark Donvillus made this point in a speak pipe, so I'm going to shout him out here. Uh, also. Um, I think that supermarket line could tie directly into this because I always took that as someone knocking down people's houses to build a supermarket and they can't do anything about it. They can't stop it. They have no rights. And that might be what the sort of the record company did to the band too. They took down the house of big country and wanted to build this nice shiny uh, radio hit thing over it, which had nothing to do with the band and they had no rights. They, they, they weren't able to stop it at the time. Oh yeah, definitely. That's a great point. But yeah, I think that's a that's a great way to look at this song. I mean, in, in some respects, and you don't want to look at it that way, at the expense of looking at the much bigger and more important issues that Stewart is talking about, which are more important than a band's status. But you know, the, something that really did touch Stewart throughout his life, and that is seeing communities being torn apart, seeing working class people being swept aside, um, and and that really comes through in this song. So I don't. This song isn't high on my list by any stretch, but I don't want that to take away or or to seem like I don't find anything of merit in this song because there's a lot of merit in this song. Um, I think my my issues with this song mainly come back to the music and the production of it. Um, this is one of those I've given Peter Wolf some credit in some of these past songs where I think his production has actually worked better for some of these songs and maybe his, his arrangements have worked. Now we don't have a a demo for this, so I don't know how it started or, or what it sounded like initially, but I would like to hear that very much. I'd be really interested to see if Stuart wrote this organically, at least structurally the way it appears on this album or, or what was changed because the main thing about this song musically, it just doesn't feel like something he would have written Stuart. Um, the main thing, even beyond the structure, though, is the production. I think this is a production where the synthy stuff, the the fake stuff, seems to really get in the way. Um, and what I mean by that, like even in the very beginning, we we hear these little uh, 
rhythmic things that are going. I don't know even what you would call them, but these little... They are called shakers, Tom. Shakers. Even bogans know this. Stupid, stupid bastard. Now get on with it before I summon the school fias. And it almost sounds something like that would be created on a cheap Casio keyboard. <laughs> it just, it's got that synth feel to it, and I don't like that. I, I want something that sounds really real in this song to match the lyrics. And you've also got a lot of synth female backing vocals in this song, and I'm, I'm sure that that's what they are. They, they have that synthy quality to them, and I can see Peter Wolf hitting his keyboard, you know, hitting the key to hit the one female voice and then to the next female voice. And it, this is on the chorus, the O oh Angel part. Oh, angel, it's coming down stone by stone. It's breaking up home by home. Take it away. Take it away. Take it away. I mean... Sure, technically it sounds nice. It's a good melody. It's a good backup part. But that that synthy nature of it just does not work for a song that's meant to be this personal. And and the piano, I I don't like the the whole piano driving this. Maybe it would have sounded better if it was like a real piano. I don't know, but it, it doesn't sound real. It sounds like a, a synth piano to me. And it's the whole song has almost more of a Bruce Hornsby feel than it does Big Country. And that's not necessarily terrible. I think Bruce Hornsby has done some good songs, but this song really is the one that I struggle the most to relate to on this album as far as being from big country. Lyrically, yes, very big country. Um, But musically, it's just so alien to me from what big country had done in the past as far as the structure of the song. Um, I just don't like a lot of the chord progressions in it. It, it, Some of the changes take away from the emotional punch that this song should really give. But there are some moments that really do kick you in the gut. You know, like, how much am I wanted? How much am I worth? That's a pretty haunting line. And just the way, again, the way Stewart sings this whole whole song is, uh, I think, of note here. Because it really, it's really a beautiful vocal performance, I think. And it shows... It shows a lot of development in his vocal abilities. It almost kind of reminds me of some of the the way the ways that he sang on the Raphael's album. Maybe this song would have been more fitting on that album. It's got more of that feel to it, really. Yeah. And one one interesting little trivia note: there is there is a bit that in this song that came from the song "You Lose Your Dreams." So a little portion of "You Lose Your Dreams" survived, and that is the line. Um, I still touch the vision. I still smell the rose. He says that in "You Lose Your Dreams" in one of the uh, one of the verses. I think it's cool that he seemed to have really liked that line and he picked it up and kept it and used it in this song i mean i i believe i don't have any proof of this but i believe this song came much later in the in the development period of the songs and so i I think he just took that line from you lose your dreams and and put it in here and i think that's a great line and smell the rose always reminded me of where the rose is sown obviously i remember hearing that line and feeling like a little 
little nice twinge in my heart because it it connected me to that period of big country. Um, so the only, only only other things I'll say about it, um, the only other other things I'll say about it musically is I think personally I think one of the things this song really needed, um, and maybe this sounds cliche, but I, I think it really needed a good classic Stuart big country guitar solo at some point in there. There there is that solo that kind of repeats. nice but i wanted more and it's like the song stops short of of really packing the emotional punch that i think it it should and left to his own devices uh i think maybe stewart could have turned this into something a lot more special or or some other producer could have turned it into something a lot more special but i think peter wolf kind of really neuters this song and and again that word dilutes the emotional resonance of this song with all of his synthy stuff is fake background vocals the piano sound doesn't work for me a lot of the chord progressions don't really work for me and so this is this is a song that i think had a lot of potential at at its roots and a lot of seeds for great potential but the production ruined that and some of the some of the structural choices really didn't work for me but um i, I give it a lot of props for its for the lyrics and for the vocal performance by stewart but as a whole, this song is probably the one that I would go to the least often um, on this album. And uh, it's a shame because there are a lot of things I want to love about it, but it just doesn't really connect with me. No, I hear what you're saying. And part of me thinks, uh, I'm not even sure Stewart had earmarked this song for Big Country, but Peter Wolf might have latched onto it in favor of songs that clearly were earmarked for Big Country, but weren't picked and we've covered that many times so i won't get into that again so this is the emotional song on the album and and like you said Stuart Stuart sings his heart out he really does very emotional and I, you can hear it in his voice and i find myself i find myself thinking this sounds like a really great song i just wish that i could hear big country playing it because yeah. I, I don't struggle to hear the greatness of the song i do struggle to hear it as a big country song to me, this has always presented itself as Stuart singing over a Peter Wolf-laden production, a keyboard-laden production. <clears throat> yes, the band is there, but it almost feels like they have been reduced to supporting players on their own song. So uh, it's it, it's this is a strange one. It, it doesn't feel like big country. And yes, we can say that for several songs on this album, but this is probably one of the main culprits of that but i'm not downtrodden on the song as such i mean there's there's especially one great thing about this song and one good thing and the great thing is stewart's vocal delivery which i think is just wonderful his vocal performance of the song is really good he really feels the words here and delivered them with a great emotional impact and what i think is is also good are the lyrics uh Maybe not great from necessarily a wordsmith point of view, but stronger from an emotional impact type of thing. Uh, and you mentioned actually the, some of the lines I had noted out, like I love the parties, the funerals and fights, but the supermarket in Nederland, I have no rights. That those, those lines resonate. Uh, and the words 
may not flow like poetry. He has definitely more poetic moments, but the feeling behind them is so strong that you, you get taken with the meaning of these words. And that is, uh, that is, a, that is very special. That is not something you can just turn on and off. To be able to do that is, is, is very impressive. And the sense of being so genuinely fond of a place which is dying. And the profits are too small for the place of work that has kept the community going. So buildings are not down for a supermarket. You're asking questions to yourself about your own worth and your own place in the future. How much am I wanted? How much am I worth? And that's, that's kind of the doubt that lingers. And the song doesn't present an answer. You, you're at that point. And um, I still touch the vision. I still smell the rose in this place. Very beautiful. I'm sure that we all have places of significance that mean a lot to us. Just take the house and neighborhood that you grew up in. Or that you remembered what it used to be back then. And maybe it's not always like that. Maybe it's not like that today. And it's very easy for people to come in and see a different potential or lack of potential in those areas and do changes uh, that they just do them. Which means that what used to be is going away. And this is very tough to observe. I mean, I would hate to stand and watch the house of my parents being knocked down. That's not likely, by the way. But uh, I can just see that situation. That that's, that's kind of almost what this song is, is describing. A very personal places that means so much to you but it means nothing to the guys in suits who come in and just do the changes to maximize profits or whatever so it's tough to observe that happening and this song conveys that feeling beautifully so I, I have a lot of praise for the lyrics I have a lot less praise for the production and the music as I mentioned I just really struggle to see it as a big country song and that's not because of the song itself, but the instrumentation, the sheer keyboard madness of the song, it's, it's so off-putting. And this feels like a Peter Wolf song, a, a Peter Wolf production, a Peter Wolf just song with, with Stuart singing. So, so just to be clear, the song itself, nothing really wrong with it, but the production is so hard for me to like. I'm reminded a bit by the piano ballad version of Ships on No Place Like Home in some regards, in that I didn't mind the song itself. Ships is a great song, but I found that particular version of the song so boring. And that version even is a more genuine production than In This Place, which, yeah, it's a, it's a slow ballad song. It's, it's, this is not really my thing. I, I can like it when it's done well, but this is boring and the production is horrible. So that's even worse. Yeah. Uh, so like I said back then, I'm not the piano ballad man, and, and guess what? I'm not really a fan of smooth keyboard arrangements either. So that's that's where this sort of plays itself. So um, yeah, when, when the songs are, are polished too much and really beyond pop perfection, drenched in keyboard sounds and arrangements, I just find that counterproductive to emotional impact, which is a shame because this is a song that sort of is keyed to emotional impact. So you have sort of the lyrics pulling you in and you have the music pushing you out. And that's always been such a strange balance in how this hits me. Uh, for one of the most personal songs on the album, that's such a shame. It's, it's one of the biggest fatalities of the album production to me. And uh, I can just do a comparison. because, And this is just something I, I mentioned because of a discussion I had yesterday with uh, a fellow Kate Bush fan. 
and we were discussing which uh, she just released a live album and that caused us to have some discussion on songs that could have been on it shouldn't have been on it and i think one of the uh, i guess it's not really latter day songs because it came out in 1993 which is a long time ago but uh, on the album the red shoes there's a song called moments of pleasure which falls into the same thing as being one of her most emotional songs and i'm sure most of the guys who listen to this podcast knows about that or at least is familiar with Kate so that's why I use that example and I can hear my mother saying every old sock meets an old shoe and that a great saying every old sock meets an old shoe Here come the hills of time And that got me thinking, how would a song like Kate's Moments of Pleasure sound with a piece in our time production? If that song was, you know, strip away all the, the instrumentation, that emotional thing, and bring on Peter Wolf, set up a, a layer of, of keyboards, and just kill that song. <laughs> because that's... Uh, both are slower ballads. Both songs are intensely emotional. Some of the most touching vocal delivery from both artists. But the difference in approach to these songs are so striking. So instead of putting Peter Wolf with Kate, you could take Stuart and put him outside of Peter Wolf. What could they have done within this place in terms of bringing that up to a production that it should have had and, and just bring out the band and, and do something with it? It could have been incredible. So uh, that's... Uh, that's really where this leaves me with this song. It's uh, like I said, the lyrics pull me in, the music push me out. That that's the best way I can really put it. So for me, this is a song that I find hard to to get into, like that. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's a good point about Kate's song because yeah, it could have easily been ruined by that kind of production. And and she she even had you know synthy things on her uh, albums as well. Maybe even on that song, I can't totally remember, but. She managed to make it still resonate with emotion. It's not like you. It's not like a synth automatically equates to a lack of emotion. But you just got to know when to use it, when not to use it, how to use it. And clearly, in this song, it was it, it really drained a lot of the emotion away from from what could have been a much more emotional piece. Yeah, exactly. And again, we can point back to the Knee Deep in Hoopla album by Starship. It has a couple of these synth drenched ballads. And that was the measuring yard, the measuring yardstick for this album. That that's what they were aiming for. So, yeah, of course, it fits the bill. It it, it met the yardstick. It was just a horrible yardstick to use for a big country album. I wish they'd been eye deep in the hoopla instead of knee deep. <laughs> Maybe they are just now. <laughs> Who is Star Starship? Starship. <laughs> uh, I don't even think they're around anymore. So they're not even in the hoopla anymore. No, uh, well, more in the poop. Maybe uh, they had their Peter Wolf thing. It worked for them because uh, I'm sure it built this. We built this city. Still continues to pay their rent. Well, that's very true. That's very true. Unfortunately, Big Country didn't get that kind of result. No, I mean, I w if they got a hit on that level, that still gave them financial security. I wouldn't care how how bad the song was. Everybody needs to make a living. I, I wish them success. But the fact that it didn't work on any level, success level, uh, musical or, or, or anything, that just 
makes the failure complete. Here, here's a little line, well, a very short review of the Peace in Our Time album from the LA Times. And they actually, they actually reference um, a line of this song, which is interesting. They say, Remember when this Scottish quartet stood shoulder to shoulder with you 2 as one of rock's great hopes of the 80s? If not, this album won't remind you. Those rousing bagpipe-like guitars and martial rhythms that were the band's early trademarks are still there, but now they sound rote and perfunctory. I still touch the vision, sings head countryman Stuart Adamson at one point. Perhaps he does, but he now seems powerless to share it. That's a pretty bad review. <laughs> Short and to the point. I, I think, and I think that, though, is getting to the the production aspects of the album. It's... Yeah, I, I would disagree with him that the early trademarks are even really still there. I mean, they're there in places, but certainly not yeah. not in in the whole. I but, was puzzled about that comment too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe maybe he listened to "Peace in Our Time" first. I don't know the song, but uh, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. the the rote and perfunctory that that does describe some of these tunes. I mean, you know, I, I like it. I, I like a lot of things on this album, but I, I can't deny that 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 production is always going to cloud everything. Yeah, so how do you rank this nugget of a song? Well, it kind of hurts a little bit because there are are some great things about it, and I do s- sense the emotion of this song. But I I have to give it number ten for me because it's just uh, it's the one, like I said, that seems the most foreign to me when it comes to you know what I want from big country musically. Love the lyrics in most places. Love Stewart's vocals, but. Uh, it's a song that I, I just can't really get into as, as hard as I sometimes try. Yeah. No, I get it. And I'm really not too far off. It's kind of boring when we agree. We agree for a lot of songs on this album. This is one of them. So this is my number nine. Yeah, we need to go back to arguing about Thousand Yard Stare again. You let me off easy with that one. Oh, yeah, I guess I kind of did. You just let me let it slide and... I just let the I just let the insanity of the comments stand on their own. <laughs> Needs no embellishment. No. <laughs> <laughs> they stood fine on their own. <clears throat> <clears throat> All right. Moving on. Hey, Thomas Fine, it's Arlen from Annapolis. Just thought I'd throw in a couple of thoughts after hearing your excellent uh, part one of the Peace in Our Time deep dive. First, I just wanted to thank you guys for continuing on with this podcast. You know, the level of research and understanding you put into these makes The Great Divide really the best fan-made music podcast out there. And I'm just sorry that we're starting to run out of albums to talk about. Uh, For Peace in Our Time, you know, a real missed opportunity. To me, it's their most disappointing album because it's the only one that feels more like record company product than art. You know, it it feels inauthentic to me somehow. Um... but I don't blame the band. If you remember the music scene in that time period, you know a lot of the the um, weird and interesting parts of the early 80s have been sort of sanded off and all the corners have been rounded. Um, New Wave gave way to AOR and even MOR music. And, you know, if you think about it, by that point, Simple Minds got stadium size and they had keyboards and singing ladies of their own now. The alarm had gone AOR with change. I mean, you know, I won't even start on Rattle and Hum other than to say, you know, that. Um I mean, all of them, Eurythmics, New Order, R.E.M., The Cure, even Devo, they'd all become sanitized at that point. Even Springsteen married an actress and moved to L.A. and started making uninteresting albums himself. So you can see why a record company would think the thing to do with B.C. was to sand off their eccentricities, too. And B.C. had to have record label support to break the U.S. They had to have some faith the label knew what they were doing. So, you know, I really like some of the ideas I was seeing in the press at the start because, you know, there were these 
lyrical themes of looking eastward lyrically and thematically while looking westward musically. And I thought that was an interesting idea, especially with their anti-war biases. Um, when I saw the review in Country Club, though, that came out, I'm reading from it now, Andy Marlowe's review said, the sound is no longer cliquish. It has a definite international appeal. Music for the masses without compromise. Well, I was part of the clique. I liked being in the clique, so that wasn't good news. And then the second disquieting fact was Peter Wolf as the producer. I hated his albums, and so this was not good news. So when I bought the album, the first album I ever bought on CD, and so I listened to it in a darkened room on headphones, and it actually made me progressively angrier the more I listened to it because the production was just getting all over in the way of the songwriting. I mean, the songs were direct, but not simple, but they didn't benefit from all the other layers that were being added to it. You got little glimpses of the classic BC sound here and there, but it, it sounded more like an American BC cover band than, than my big country. You know, um, then I started hearing the B-sides, though, and the, and the REL demos. And the more I the more I heard those, the more I thought, wow, these are fantastic. These should have been the album. And how could they leave out songs like The Traveler, as, uh, Over the Border, When a Drum Beats, Made in Heaven, Merry Christmas Island? You know, BC was really at the top of their game on these, not only in terms of melody and lyrics, but in their playing. You know, When a Drum Beats is the real missing song on the album. Um, with the, you know, the lyric about the F-111 and the Kremlin. And, you know, that should have been the centerpiece of the album. Um, and then How Great Is Christmas Island? That may be one of the best songs they ever had. So, you know, my version of Peace in Our Time really is the demos with a couple of songs thrown in from the album. Um, but anyway, thanks for the vine, guys, and looking forward to hearing parts two and three. Bye. be happy here is the last song on the album the third and final song with a joint writing credit as well this is written by adams and watson so again if you're interested in those kind of facts and uh i think this this really ends the album on a great note for me i, I think this is a great great song i think this is one of two songs that i i hold higher than anything else on this album so I think Time for Leaving clearly has the, the top spot for me. And this this is not on that level, but I still consider this a great song. And um, for a lot of reasons, first of all, from the get-go, this sounds like classic big country music. You don't get that a lot on this album. And in fact, it's it's so rare that we finally, when we finally get it with this song, it, it almost feels like the odd song out on this album, which is kind of crazy that finally we're getting a song that sounds like the band we knew. And it feels, wow, that, does that even fit on this album? Because it's uh, so different from, from most of it. And that underlines a lot of the issues of this album probably better than anything else I could say. Uh, the album's been a bit of a bumpy ride for me, but it ends on a very strong note here. So I could be happy here. Just one of a couple songs on this album that I feel can stand very tall 
beyond this album as a good, genuine, big country moment, or at least as genuine as the sonic direction of this album allows. And this is a song that the band had in hand early. We do have a demo for it. was demoed at Ariel Studios and the song was quite a bit set in its ways before the band went to LA and they really didn't change it that much and that is quite noteworthy. Uh, I think the only thing I can say is Peter Wolf must have liked it amazingly because number one it was picked from the Ariel demos and we know he passed on so many of them but not this one he picked this one and number two he really didn't change the song a lot either. It's basically more or less the same. It has tweaks and it has some production changes, but it's not a massively overwritten or, or changed song. So I guess that must have means he liked a lot of it. And it's a band song. He even kept his keyboard out of the way and or muted down. Uh, so even though he did polish it and it was slightly tweaked and tightened up in arrangements and perhaps even put through the starship filter like every song was a little bit i don't think this is where he is the most intrusive on the song's original form on this album i think peter wolf and the band did a good job with this it's tighter still retains the big country sound and you hear that right away in the song intro which uh, has perhaps my favorite uh, intro on the album the song blasts off with that lovely gorgeous proud big country guitar style solo playing on top of the pick and it's just glorious yeah that's uh, stunning very, very few moments like this on the album and here for the final song we finally get it as an intro instead of a keyboard opening or a drum pattern or something else this is how you open a big country song that's just wow really really great and i almost get choked up hearing that when you, when you get to this point it's so beautiful and it doesn't stop when the intro is over and the verse continues it's really Stewart's way of singing and the instrumentation. It just continues to be a very classic big country, more than almost anything else. And there is a feeling that just it just feels so right about the entire thing. If I'm wrong, I don't want it to be right. This is <laughs> lovely, beautiful. Uh, one thing that the production does is to mute the transition to chorus. And I think there is probably room for the band to, to really explode and get into it when they move into the chorus section with the I could be happy here. Could have been even more powerful, just total full tilt, rock out, get into it. But of course, that would never happen when Peter Wolf is the producer. And they didn't keep playing this song really live either. They, I don't think they played it much live at all. Uh, so uh, I'm no. sure there would have been a natural evolution of the song where that would have been emphasized if they had. But in my mind, that would have been uh, good. And it's still a good transition anyway. And one little musical tidbit I got from the Making Music uh, magazine, uh, there was some discussion on the page recently about who played harmonica live on uh, on the, this tour for the songs under wraps, that there was harmonica and 
a lot of the songs and we, we seem to get some answers spreading out over both Stuart and Bruce. I'm not sure if we got a conclusive answer to that question, did we? Well, we got one one person that said it was Bruce and then about 10 that said it was Stuart. And I, I've seen pictures of, <laughs> of Stuart's mic stand. Um, someone sent me some pictures of Stuart's mic stand with a harmonica holder on it. So I think I think it's pretty clear that it was probably Stuart. Okay. Uh, that's interesting. Because, the confusion uh, might have come from this song. Yes, I know, I know where you're going with this. Yeah, because Bruce plays uh, harmonica on the studio version of this song. Uh, and uh, Making Music Magazine talks about how he sampled the harmonica into the synclavier. Right. <laughs> which is probably why we don't have a lot of harmonica sounds. But we have the harmonica represented in this recording through the synclavier played back on keyboards. Yeah, just so, like one, uh, one breath in the harmonica that seems to have been sampled. <laughs> He just That's blew all it. you need. He blew into yeah. it. If you take my love, if you take my stand, if you <laughs> could have been anyone, right? Could have had the like the the cleaning person just come in and, and blow and there you have the note. Now it's sampled. Now we got all the notes. Now Peter Wolf can just play it. That's right. So I don't know what that means that Bruce sampled the harmonica, but uh, that that's what it did. And Hence the harmonica-drenched version of the song. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's a glorious thing. And uh, just like the music, the words to, all, to, to this song, they're all about just a pure passion. This is not a presentation of intricate stances of poetry. This is a very pure plea. Or I actually think there are a couple of pleas using the approach of repeating a phrase in different ways to drive home a point. And the first verse is very personal. Uh, where he goes directly to a person, addresses a person saying, if you will take my love, take my stand, be the one, if you will take my hand. So he's asking someone to be with him, to stand by him. If you will never run, I could be happy here. To me, this has got to be sung to a woman, especially as he says, if you will be the one, if you will take my hand. There could be other meanings, but so strongly pointing in, in that way that I feel it has to be. And uh, where the first verse is very specific in pledging to each other, the second one seemed to go a little deeper as far as setting expectations to each other. And again, the word pride comes in, in the first line of that verse, which uh, it usually does in Stuart lyrics, even on albums with, you know, pride in your eyes, put the shame in me and king of emotion. And again, uh, some other examples. In this song, he asks, if you could take my pride, take my tears, take my side, take my fears, a basic lovely sentiments to the person he loves really take my side that's great it looks like the singer comes from a place of self-doubt and is not too happy he thinks that you could turn the tide or if you could turn the tide i could be happy here as in things aren't the best but you're the person who is able to change that you can turn the tide so that's a an interesting thing it's basically a very sort of deep pledge from the depths of his heart, very, very genuine. Uh, the chorus is also very interesting because because of the here in the title, I could be happy here. That could be a lot of things. Where in the verses, here could be anything from the relationship. If you will never run, I could be happy here. Or you have, if you could turn the tide, I could be happy here. It could also be in his mind, like he feels troubled or sad or lonely, but with the help of that other person, all of that will go away and he can feel happy. Uh, but the chorus definitely points more to a physical location. I could be happy here, but I 
I could be happy here, but I see what is done in my homeland, which is interesting. Uh, is that where he wants to be happy in his homeland, or or is he literal about what his homeland is? Uh, he says, "I see what is done in my name. Like you belong to a lot of things, like your family, whose last name you often carry, representing that family." Uh, there's also your nationality. Anything your country does, you carry some of that with you, whether you were directly involved or not. You just by being of that nationality. So I think uh, the song could be about both. Like there are things done that he's not comfortable with, and perhaps this is part of the pride and the tears and the fears he's asking this person to help take away. Just help me get over all these things that are happening in my homeland, that are done in my name. And with your help. If you will take my side, I will be happy after all. Then I can be happy here because what you give me is more important to me than those other things. So there's a lot of sentiment in it. And what on the surface seems very basic could uh, quickly have layers and uh, sort of gets interesting as you look a bit more into it. Uh, And I think uh, the sentiment is beautiful. And what works so well is also with how the music underpins it all. That the music helps sell the emotional content of the lyrics in a big way. So I think uh, this is a, a an example of where the marriage between music and lyrics on this album really works. And it's uh, it ends up just being a very passionate, classic, good or great even big country track. So for me, this is a very well-esteemed and, and proud song on this album. And it really ends well. I could have wished it to perhaps come a little earlier in the album and especially the balance or the tracking of the album side side one in particular being very muted and side two having a lot of the more firing up moments with peace in our time time for leaving a river of hope and this one so that almost <laughs> seems imbalanced really but uh, hmm. all all's well that ends well wow well we're we're gonna have some disagreement finally again we are back to disagreement I, I, it was bound to happen. Possibly substantial in this one. Um, well, first of all, there there are a lot of things. I'll get to the things that I agree with first because there are a lot of those as well. Um, when I when I heard this for the first time and that beginning and that opening, like you, I thought, "Wow, this is big country." And and wow is exactly the the proper phrase here. Just a gorgeous melody. And here you have an example of what we talked about in an earlier episode of Stuart playing a lead line with the, with the bass pickup um, activated because it's got like a, the lead part there has a big fat juicy sound and it's just a, just a classic big country melody. Um, and there's a lot of great stuff about this song. And, and for a number of years after hearing, you know, this album, it, it probably would have been one of my favorite tracks on the album but over the years, and especially after hearing the demo version of this, I, I've i just become more upset with this song and what it became because I think it could have been just so much better. And th- this is one of those things where I, I, would, agree, I would disagree that, that Peter Wolf, his changes on this were minimal. I think they were, they were major. And I'll explain what I'm talking about here. Um, first of all, though, something I just discovered recently like within the last couple of weeks listening to this and this, this is just my opinion but i believe it's i believe it's accurate is that i think that as beautiful as the opening is 
the the picked parts of this song, I listen to them in headphones, and I I hear the exact same effect that I referenced in Everything I Need, like them panning back and forth. I really believe that the picked strings in the beginning of this song were like Everything I Need sampled strings from Peter Wolf's Synclavier. Now that might make, might not make any difference to you, but to me, when I when I hear the 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 structure of that in the demo and that those picked parts in the demo. I much prefer those. And this is an example, I think, of where where I thought that production technique worked well on a song like Everything I Need, which was meant to be this big airy thing. I Even though it's not, it's not as intrusive in this song, but I wish he would have just let the band play the damn parts in this song that it would have been a lot better it would have it would have made the song more emotional it would have fit the the themes of the song even more but i i did when i first heard this i thought okay finally we've made it it was a little bittersweet because i knew it was the last song but i thought this is this is gonna be this is classic big country this is what i've waited for this whole damn album finally i get it um but as the song progressed there were some things that maybe still didn't feel like classic big country didn't quite go the whole the whole route that I wanted wanted it to go but when I look back and compare it to the demo it makes more sense I mean this I see what is done in my homeland it should be changed to I see what he did to my demo it should be should be repeated over and over again because (laughs) I, I just think I think this demo is one of the examples that I would use against Peter Wolf I think the demo of this song is so glorious and so much better and so much more emotional and it's not to say the the peace in our time version is bad because it's not at all it's it's still a good song but when i when i review what was done to it and get a sense of what i think why it was done to me we get back to that whole dilution word the song the song in its in its normal or in its uh, original sense and original formation was so pure and it did not need to be changed like this. But back earlier in the series, I was talking about one of the songs that I thought was confused in the demo about what it wanted to be the chorus. And that was everything I need where it had almost like two choruses. And I thought that the arrangement was done well and that they focused it, brought in the right chorus for the song, et cetera, et cetera. But I also said in that discussion that it, you don't always have to necessarily follow those rules. Sometimes it works without that. And I think the demo is a good example because there is no chorus in that demo. It's the same, it's the same verse part basically, over and over and over again. But the thing that's great about it is that it just builds, it builds and builds and builds, and each successive use of that that verse gets stronger and stronger from an emotional standpoint. And what they did on the Peace in Our Time version, I think, and this is just my you know my opinion, my theory, but I think it's fairly you know well reasoned hypothesis here. But I, I think Peter Wolf probably heard this demo, and, and as you say, he liked aspects of it, but he probably said, you know what, boys, this need, this song doesn't have a chorus. we got to have a chorus in this song. Where's the chorus? And he went through the other demo that this song is kind of a Frankenstein monster of, and that's the song In My Homeland, which is a demo that really was kind of a... Um, it did, it, even as a demo, it just didn't seem like it was a finished song yet. It seemed like it, it was. It wasn't. It was just like some parts that were put together in a song form. But in that demo version, we've got the part. I see what is done in my homeland. I see what is done in my name. I see what is done in my home. 
And I get the feeling that Stewart said, well, here, I've got this song that's not that's sitting around, and I can't really figure out what to do with it. Um, maybe we can take the chorus from this and incorporate it into I Could Be Happy Here, and that will, that will be our chorus. And Peter Wolf is like, yeah, that's good. Let's take that. We'll put it in here. We'll make it, we'll make it a part of the song. But my, my issue with that is that, especially listening to that demo, I don't think it works so well. Uh, and, and a lot of it has to do with the lyrics. The, the lyrics of the demo, if you, if you go through them, it's this constantly building thing. And you touched on all, a lot of the beautiful uh, sentiments there, and there's no need for me to repeat that. But what's interesting and great about that song to me is that he does that thing that Stuart often does, where it's like, if I will do this, if I will do that, if I will do this. And then it's later, it's if you will do this, if you will do that, if you will do this. And then finally, at the end, we will do this, we will do that. And and it ends with a very, literally a happy note. We are, in fact, he says, we are happy here at the end of that demo. We are happy here. He repeats that twice. And I think that's really, really powerful. And in the in the Peace in Our Time version, and this is where I think it doesn't work so well, he, he does the same thing. He's, a lot of the lyrics are the same. He says, I could be happy here. We could be happy here. But it always goes back to, but I see what is done in our homeland. I see what is done in my name. And with the benefit of having that demo, the the, the patch job, the cut and paste job of that chorus into this song seems it, it just it stands out even more to me because it, it doesn't work as well lyrically to me it's like it almost seems like he's the guy has a short attention span and he's talking about something completely different all of a sudden in the chorus it's like a very personal um very personal lyrics of the, of him and this woman and how they can make a life together they could be happy here they can do all these these things and then it's always disra- derailed by him saying but I see what's done in my homeland. I see what is done in my name. Suddenly it becomes this big thing and it's no longer about the two people. And the version on peace in our time kind of gives the feeling of they're not going to achieve this happiness. They're not going to find this happiness because there's always going to be this thing being done in their homeland. And it just doesn't, it doesn't fit together to me in a nice puzzle piece. Whereas that, whereas the demo seems to be very focused on how, all these problems that they're dealing with, all these things, they're gonna, they're gonna um, envelop themselves in their pride. They're gonna accept all of their weaknesses, but they're still gonna stand strong together. And at the very end, they are going to be happy here. And I, I just love that so much more than the sentiment that I feel from the "Peace in Our Time" version, which, which kind of just rings hollow to me. That chorus, because of the cut and paste job that it really was, it, it just doesn't feel like it was meant to be there from the beginning and it's been put together and while it works on some level to me it doesn't work nearly as well um as the demo version does and the other thing about the demo version is just musically i think it's got more of the traditional big country feel throughout the whole thing in fact it's got like a crossing-esque and i'm talking about the song the crossing it's kind of got a crossing-esque guitar break in the middle where it just takes you right back to that 80, early 80s big country when it just goes that you know da, 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 da.
drums kick in and it and Stewart sings the verses again, but he sings them like in a in a way that's at the very edge of his vocal abilities and vocal range. But it really works and Man, the drumming of Mark on that demo when he sings that and when he launches into Tonight We Keep Our Pride, Tonight We Dry Our Tears, Tonight We Leave Our Side, Tonight We Shed Our Fears, Tonight We Turn the Tide, and We Are Happy Here. That to me is just like, oh, you, you can't beat that. And and for for them to take that away from the song, to me that takes away the whole crux and core of that song. And to, to put in that, that chorus which I don't think really was meant to be there. Again, to me, it dilutes the song. And again, this is all coming from the the perspective of having heard the demo. I didn't think these things until I heard the demo and was just so touched by that demo. Um, I think it, I think it's one of the biggest uh, disappointments of the album now to me is what they did to this song. I, I, I just could have been... It, it really... I mean, the demo really is one of my favorite big country songs. And when I think about what could have been done to it with good production and with a cleaner production, but keeping the same elements. Um, it just, it disappoints me. It disappoints me. And I guess the other interesting thing about the peace in our time version for, we've got another outro, another great outro in this song on the peace in our time album. I love the outro to this on some levels, but I kind of go back and forth with it, actually, because it's it's really a kind of an, a unique way to end it. We've got Mark just going nuts on the drums, kind of like he did in the demo version. I mean, he's double kick. He's got he's playing everything. But where you would where you would expect to have like a really intense guitar solo going on there. And Stewart is playing an intense solo, but he's playing it with a clean sounding guitar. It's odd because there's something that I do like about that because it's so different. But at the same time, I remember hearing that, you know, the first few times I heard it and I was like, uh, couldn't he have stepped on the distortion pedal for that part? You know, it just seemed like suddenly it was, it just wasn't, you know, it just didn't quite do what I thought it was trying to do or what I wanted it to do. And that kind of sums up the whole album to me. It's like, okay, they've got this great part here, but they sold it short because they could have you know give give that lead part some oomph play play the lead part like it's a lead part and and keep it going a little bit longer it just kind of just kind of fades out and suddenly it's done so you know I, I, there are a lot of great things about this song even on the peace in our time version it's still a song that i will happily listen to but i just can't you know if if you give me the two choices i mean i'm going with the demo version every time it's it's the one that to me just is one of the strongest uh, demos the band ever did, and one of my favorite big country songs. And um, yeah, I just think the the final result of the the Frankenstein that they created with it, while it's got some good parts that still remain, um, it's just nothing. It's nothing like the demo version as far as an emotional punch. So I, this this song is ultimately falls way way down for me because of that 
and it's just a big disappointment. Even with the cool elements, the and the cool time signature, it's really interesting time sign time signature in this song. It's it's kind of confusing actually at, at times. In the beginning, it's um, from a musician standpoint, it's it's hard to play. It's hard to it's hard to get into the groove of the song, but it's really cool. Uh, so anyway, they kept some things, but they lost too much to me in the translation. Yeah, I think most people would uh, prefer the demo. And just to be clear, I also think the demo is uh, the better version. Uh, why wouldn't it be? Because that has the, the real production that it should have. And uh, the album version sounds like it is on Peace in Our Time. So that's that's just how it is. But it's, it's, it's sort of interesting how it used to be one of your favorites. And the disappointment of the difference between the demo is really what has brought it down. While the song is basically the same. So so that's definitely some major disappointment going on there. Yeah, it is. It's just that that's how much better I think the demo was. And and <laughs> and even though even though it was one of my favorites on the album, I still had some issues with it. You know, even even if I hadn't heard the demo, I would have had some issues with it. And then kind of some of the things I mentioned there at the end, I, I thought it it could have. I, I always thought the chorus, even though it was trying to rock, you know, it was tr trying to rock hard. I, I thought it never really quite did. And then that outro section, I always was disappointed in. I, I thought it could have been a lot stronger, and you know. But it, there were things I loved about it. I guess I guess it was probably one of my favorites because it really is the most traditional big country sounding song on the album, yeah, for the most part. Is. You know, so I and clung I think, to that. And I think on uh, any other album, the outro would have kicked in a lot more and, and done a lot of the things that we uh, expect of a big country outro. But to to be honest. It surprises me that what is there is there to begin with. Yeah. Given that Peter Wolf does not like rock moments, he doesn't. You just see it a red thread through all his productions. So that it's always like okay, at the end you can let loose a little bit, not too much, not too much. Okay, that's fine. So it's it's almost like it is reined in, but it's as loose as they would be allowed to to get on this album. So you do have that thing. So in the context of that, that album great in, in a wider context yeah it, it is what it is it is still a piece in our time thing uh, i think um the frankenstein aspect of of combining the thing i think um first of all it is a good chorus musically i, I do what you're saying I, I do get what you're saying on the lyrical thing that the the repetition of things that dilutes from the the end happiness of the demo so to speak that now they are happy there uh, I kind of see it as, yes, we can be happy here, but I'm aware what's going on. I see what's going on out there. Even though we have created this happy space, there are things being done in my homeland, with in my name. Uh, but despite that, I'm happy. So it's not like blindly, now we have achieved the happiness, everything is sorted. Uh, so that, that aspect uh, works for me, uh, even though in the context of the demo, you perhaps reached a more satisfying climax to the song on on that level so uh, yeah fair enough uh, I, I i hear what you're saying really it's uh to to be completely uh you know just to be clear i i would definitely take the demo as well so i'm 100 percent with you but what i guess the disagreement would be is for me the fact that there exists a superior demo version don't dilute from what the song is in the context of peace in our time so there there you go i i i get it <laughs> i get what you're saying that's yeah no i understand so where do you rank it 
for me, this is one of the best moments, and uh, it's number two. Oh, nice. It's my number eight. That's not so nice. <laughs> Damn you. Have at you. It's Peter Wolf's fault. It's bastard. number eight. It's Peter Wolf's fault. It's number eight. This is where he gets a punch. He gets a he gets a sucker punch to the gut. But isn't it funny though? If you had never heard the demo, you would probably rank it higher. Yeah, I would. I would. I would rank it higher. But I, I can't. I can't. I just cannot divorce myself from the two in this case. <laughs> That's fine. You are an emotional being, slaves to your whims. So you, I know you can't help it. I can't help it. Shit! Right. This is um, Graham Lear here from uh, Rugby in England. Um, peace in our time. Right. I'm coming at it from a different point of view from most people in that I'm a later fan. I started getting into big country in a big way about 10 years ago. And um, I was buying up their albums. And um, I was aware that peace in our time had a poor, poor reputation, but I came to it with an open mind. Uh, my impression of it is that there are some real highlights on the album. Um, In This Place is my favourite song on it. That, to me, is, is that was an instant hit for me, and that's one of my favourite big country songs. Um, It does have some other songs that I really like on it. Um, Thousand Yards There, um, Time for Leaving, River of Hope. Those those are ones I, I really like. Um... King of Emotion, that's a controversial one. Um, it was obviously an attempt at making a kind of mainstream commercial hit, and it kind of works well in that in that sense, but it's it's kind of um, not really a big country song. It's not really their style, so I kind of have mixed feelings about it. Um, the songs I really don't like are From Here to Eternity, and um, I Could Be Happy Here. They sound like something that Wet 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 would have done. Um, I, I like everything I need. I really like the demo version of that. Not so keen on the album version. Um, firstly, about the, about the production, um, people criticise the production, and I, I do agree with that. I think the production could have been done a lot better, but I think that it is said that you can't make a bad song good by by the production, and I kind of think that that works in reverse. You can't make a good song bad by the production, if you get what I mean. So although the production is far from ideal, I, I don't think that it hides the quality of the songwriting. The quality of the songwriting is still, is still strong, and that kind of shines through, in my opinion. So that's not as big of an issue for me as it is for a lot of people. Um I don't understand why, I mean, given given the other um, material Big Country were making around that time, I don't understand why songs like um, Promised Land were left out of it because they they were probably some of their they were probably some of their strongest songs that Big Country did, in my opinion. Anyway, um, as I didn't come to it from someone who was a fan at the time, I didn't have the sense of disappointment that people might have shared. So I kind of have a different view to it. Anyway, that's my take on um, Peace in Our Time. Uh, I hope that is helpful. Have at you, Tom, Svein, everyone out there in the Great Divide podcast land. It's Andrew here at Braemar in the Scottish Highlands. Um, Peace in Our Time for me was, uh, I couldn't wait for it to come out. I was just, you know, I was right in the 
zone for big country at the time, buying all the 12 inches and anything I could get my hands on, even those interview record picture discs and all sorts of things just to get what you could pre-internet days where you were just trying to grab everything you could and uh, swanning around in a tartan shirt etc um, great days King of Emotion came out and I thought ah aha right okay not sure what to think of that Broken Heart I loved actually King of Emotion I thought was I, I got to like it you know Dancing ladies and all, uh, singing ladies, should I say. Broken Heart, 13 Valleys, I actually really, really liked at the time. Even even the electronic panpipe solo at the end, I just thought, fine, I can take that, I can handle it. Thousand Yard Stare, Here to Eternity, I loved to bits, um, everything I need. I thought Peace in Our Time was fantastic. The opening line with Tony playing his drone his drone notes in the open string and then the dum 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 I just love that. So grand and so uh, massive. I, I just really like that. Um, Time for Leaving I loved. And I think on Time for Leaving there was the lyric that I just thought was so Stuart. It was, uh, I must take comfort in the little you leave me, the ring you stole on the darkest night. I think that's on... Yeah, I think that's on Time for Leaving. Anyway, wherever it is. Errata. Errata. The song is from here to Eternity Braidwood. Not Time for Leaving. Have at you. Bastard. I just thought that was so Stuart, you know, that kind of almost poetic thing which harks back to the the first three albums which we all know and love. you got River of Hope, which I just loved. As a young drummer at the time, I was just started to play the drums and Mark was my uh, Mark was my uh, hero at the time so uh, you know River of Hope was great to follow with the splash cymbals and the rolling toms and everything uh, that was involved in that very very uh, um, action packed drumming there for, for a young for a young kid and then the other two the last two songs on it you know I could see what he was doing with the storytelling more like chance again you know telling stories of people in situations and I really loved that too so I don't think it's certainly not all bad I know we're all uh, Spine says we're all pissing on it from 2016 but I don't think we are I think it's a good album still enjoy it that takes us to the end of the album and I know what our rankings are. Um, so starting at the bottom, as we always do, uh, obviously the long-time listeners know the drill. Uh, we add our scores together, and the worst possible score a song can have is 20. That's two tens, which no song got. Uh, the best is two, which is two number ones added together, which also no song got. But we are very close on both ends. And uh, with 19 points in this place and King of Emotion. <laughs> and I know that you were going back and forth and not sure which one would actually be number 10. And you, you were doubting even as, yeah, as you I were know. saying it out for, for King of Emotion. I'm still doubting so are, it. Yeah, are, are they sort of just down there, both of them? It, no point uh, really saying which is the one. It's those two, right? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's those two. I, I yeah. probably would. I probably would listen to King of Emotion more often than in this place. So I, I guess I'll have to keep it the way it is. 
yeah, and that makes sense since you gave that the nine. That that's what would edge it out. Yeah, so th- those are firmly on the bottom there, and um, above it is thirteen valleys with fourteen points on uh, number eight, and that's interesting because we'll get into this later. We had a poll on our page, which I'm sure Tom will pull up as I go through the rest of this to to reveal <laughs> those results. And yes. thirteen valleys won by a landslide. Sure did. So. Uh, so I'm sure a lot of people aren't pleased that we put this one this this way down on our lists. Uh, River of Hope is number six with 11 points. Uh, we have a sort of joint number five. I could be happy here and Peace in Our Time both got 10 points, which plays it just about square in the middle. Uh, number four, Thousand Yards there with nine points. Everything I Need with eight points. From Here to Eternity got seven points. And our clear joint winner is Time for Living with three points. Nice. All right. So that's our album. Good. Excellent. Okay. Well, let me do the fan poll then. Uh, thank you for everyone who participated in that. Got a lot of response on it. Um, as Fine said, 13 Valleys won by a landslide. Uh, let's see. 52, 52 votes for 13 Valleys as being the top song on the album. Coming in at number two. Impressive. Yeah. Coming in at number two. The, the rest were, the number two, three, four were pretty close. Coming in at number two was Thousand Yard Stare with 31 votes. Time for Leaving was number three with 27 votes. River of Hope, number four, 26 votes. That was a close one. Mm. Peace in Our Time, number five. And this is where the discrepancies begin a little bit more. Um, actually, there's a tie here between Peace in Our Time and I Could Be Happy Here. Both with 19 votes. Um, for some reason, Peace in Our Time is ranked higher than that in the Facebook feed. So they must, uh, the Facebook code must slightly prefer Peace in Our Time. The, the last given vote. Yes. So, yeah, okay, that must be what it is. So, in this place, uh, seven with um, 17 votes. Everything I Need is eight with eight votes. From Here to Eternity, surprised that was so low. Only seven votes. Yeah. King of Emotion hits the bottom with six votes. So have it all I'm of you. Got six votes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Have it all of yeah. you for voting from here to eternity so low. Come on, that's a good song. That's a good song, man. Oh well, there we go. It's interesting to get this perspective, and uh, like we said, the, the people have spoken. It's, uh, Thirteen Valleys is uh, the clear unanimous winner. Yeah, and I, I can I can certainly see that. Like I said, on even on the show, I, I mean, I, I recognize all the elements of it being a very good song and a great song, even. But I guess maybe it just played out for me. I I don't know. Yeah, it could be. So the one thing that we haven't really discussed yet, and that will be the final discussion on, on this deep dive, is uh, the the choice of singles and how well they did. Really, we, uh, we didn't dig too deeply into it. Uh, we know that we had three singles we we are not counting river of hope in in holland but that that was an interesting one for certainly the collectors out there to find a, a single of of that song uh but king of emotion as the first one reached number 16 in the uk 20 on the us billboard chart oh wow. 11 in ireland and 90 in canada and those are the chart placements that are registered for that song wow so 20, 20 in the u.s on the billboard chart that's uh, nothing to sneeze that's at actually not at all I, I didn't i didn't realize or didn't remember that it had done that well that's amazing well yeah. in a sense then yeah i guess you know dave bates kind of got what he wanted there but it, for some reason it it uh it didn't stick 
No, and it was likely not a persistent. I, I, I have a feeling it was quick up and down. It probably was, yeah. I have a feeling it would be. Uh, it's worth to note, it also reached number 11 on the US Hot Modern Rock Track uh, chart, which is now these days called Alternative Tracks. Hmm. Uh, this is a list that covers the 40 most played songs on uh, so-called modern rock radio stations, most of which are really alternate alternative rock songs. And only the one I love also ever made that particular chart. That was number 17. Wow. And no other big country song ever made that uh, that one. Wow. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I can tell you from, from my perspective as an American, though, I, I, I do not know of one person that I met back then who was a fan of big country who was pleased at that direction in fact but i know no. i know many who who gave up on the band after that song so he, maybe he got the a hit but yeah at what at what cost maybe it would have been better for it to be quickly forgotten and no hit at all yeah who knows <laughs> a quick quick and dirty payment with long-term repercussions but uh, yeah 20 in the u.s 16 in the uk uh broken heart made number 47 in the uk and that was the only only territory it charted so that was a wow. big disappointment a big drop actually what a surprise did quite poorly yeah really it's uh of, of the three singles they they did i would probably put my money on that one as far as doing best yeah me too but there you go what what do we know clearly very little peace in our time did better uh, that made number 39 so it's not like massively jump up but uh, it Scraping by the top 40 is very important because then you can be on top of the pops and you can be exposed different ways. Uh, don't know if they did, but uh, anyway, it also reached number 16 in Ireland. So that that was the second biggest, and if you can call it big. But as far as a single performance, uh, King of Emotion probably did the job in terms of chart placements. Uh, I guess we don't think it did a job as far as promoting the band well so that raises the question if you could pick three singles which would they be and in what order would they be oh wow um let me think here for a second i well i i think i think what you want to do when you release a single from from an album is is you obviously want to have the best song that's going to do well at radio but you also want to i think showcase the band and and you know put a song that's not so foreign to what people might expect from the band unless it's just an incredible song i might have released 13 valleys first i mean i think that the problematic thing with that song though is that it's it's long like a lot of these songs that that stewart wrote over the years for singles i mean that track you know clocks in at uh i think i think it's the longest track on the album five minutes and 15 seconds yeah it's the longest track on the album which is mm. really surprising but um, so clearly they edited that. I'm sure they must have edited the single version, I would imagine. I don't know. But uh, I, I probably knew that at one time. But I think, I think okay, I'm sorry. I, I think I would have probably released From Here to Eternity as the first single. That would be my choice. I, I think that wow. is – it's a little bit of a stretch maybe, but I think that's a song that's got great hooks to it. Sounds like big country still. And I don't know. I think I think radio might have – been more willing to play that song than some of the others, uh, with the exception of King of Emotion. But uh, e either that or Peace in Our Time. Hmm. 
that's what she said when we discussed it. <laughs> but then we were sort of deep in the in that into that song. Yeah, you know what? So, let, me, let me change my opinion here. Peace in our time first, because that's the album title. That launches the whole feel for the album. That should have been first, followed with from here to eternity, um, and then the third single, either Thirteen Valleys or Time for Leaving. Okay. I can't. I can't commit to either one. No, and uh, so many good candidates. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I I would go with "Time for Leaving" first because that is uh, a very strong melodic song, which also sounds like big country. I think that's very important. Yeah. Uh, and my second choice, uh, which you haven't mentioned, but thinking back to 1988 and the type of songs that became hits, I think. Uh, the second one should definitely be the power ballad. I think everything I need for the band to put themselves out there and have a hit with a strong ballad, th those got a lot of playback then. I think uh, it would never be the first one. You never release the power ballad as a first. The first one is always the rocker or the more outro song, and then you have the power ballad in hand. Right. So I think uh, if they're going to do a song like that and arrange it like a power ballad, you need to put it out. And the uh, I don't know if it necessarily how, how well it would have done, but that's I think that's a better shot than a lot of other things they considered. Yeah, and, I could see that. I could definitely yeah. see that. But let me ask you this: um, uh, the other ball ballad on the song in this place. I know we both ranked it low on the list, but do you think that would have could have worked better no. for radio? No. Okay. I th I think it's. Uh, you need something snappier for radio. That is more a song that uh, people latch onto sitting in their room and feeling the song and getting misty. I don't think that's a radio song. Yeah, I don't know. It's just a, yeah, I don't know. I, it's, I was just curious. But like I said, it reminds me of some of those Bruce Hornsby type of songs that were being played at the time. Man, I don't know how familiar you are with Bruce Hornsby, but... Uh, I don't think I will take the bother if this this is what it sounds like. <laughs> yeah. But it kind of falls into the same thing. People would say, is this big country? No, they definitely the, would have. I, they definitely would have said that, yes. Yeah. And I think that's so important to, to present yourself as yourself, or at least that people, <laughs> you need to build on, on, on your audience, on your popularity based on what you are and not based on what could work. Really, if, if you need to think more long term, so I, I think uh, from that perspective, the first one, the first single, really needs to sound like big country. It could be anything, and "Peace in Our Time" wouldn't be a bad choice, given the PR activities and what they did in the Soviet embassy and going over there, and sort of having "Peace in Our Time" as a stronger message and a more relevant message yeah. than "King of Emotion." Yeah, exactly. I mean, it makes more sense. It's like by the time they released that as a single, the album had already pretty much done what it was going to do, and and it was it was falling, if not had fallen out of the charts, and that single wasn't going to get much play anyway. So, I mean, if you no. if you release that single first, when you've got that whole buzz going of of the Moscow trip, which did get a lot of interest, you know, on the BBC and and got talked yes. about quite a bit. Who knows? That could have uh, that could have made that single work. It would have given them an angle to sort of point uh, that event on. Yeah, because definitely. King of Emotion doesn't really have any meaning towards everything they tried to do. So, yeah, no, I I, I see that as a potential one as well. You know, if you're going to release Peace in Our Time, that would have to be the first single. So maybe you know, 
Time for Leaving, I think, is by far the better song. But Peace in Our Time is no slouch. And I think it could have worked from, from that angle. Yeah. So those are, those are the things I would throw in the pot and keep the power ballad back for later. Yeah, well, interesting. I, yeah, I could see any of those scenarios being played out. But they did not play out. We got what we got. Woulda, coulda, shoulda. We're all the Monday morning band managers. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually used to play a, a video game called Rock Manager. Oh, so, nice. So, so, so I'm clearly highly qualified for this. <laughs> Shot! Greetings, Tom and Svein from Long Beach, California. This is Steve Coulter. Thank you for the opportunity to submit my opinion of Peace in Our Time for your deep dive. This album is uh, obviously a very divisive one in the big country pantheon, obviously mostly due to the production of Peter Wolf and his keyboards and singing ladies and all of the things that really put the 1988 timestamp on this record. At the time, I remember being a, uh, I guess I was only 20 years old at the time, maybe not even 20 when this album came out. I was super into the sound. I loved that clear, clean sound that CDs offered. And although it wasn't the big country that I remembered most recently before this record, I was kind of into it at the time. I, I remember I worked in a compact disc store and I just used to blast it in the store. We loved the sound of it and it was super clean and Broken Heart, I remember, was probably my favorite at that time. But boy, did that not age well. It aged about as well as how the band looks in the middle of this booklet as I look at it. Well, that's some sweet hair, Bruce. Love that. Anyway, um, great songs on here. Would have been amazing to hear this album recorded in a completely different way. I mean, can you imagine what Steve Lillywhite would have done with this? Well, anyway, I'm sure you guys will dive in very deep on your feelings on the production and keyboards of Peter Wolf. But if I had to look back and pick a favorite song today versus back in 1988, I think I could be happy here would probably be my favorite. I think it's the one that seems to me the most big country sounding song in retrospect, but who knows? It's uh, something we'll never, we'll never know. Right. But uh, looking forward to hearing the, deep dive and looking forward to uh, a new podcast. So cheers from the West coast of the United States and hope to talk to you guys again soon. Take care. Bye. But you know, this time was an interesting time. I mean, even with the, the maybe disappointment of the, the direction or the, I don't know, there's just something about this time period that I will often go back to because it was so interesting and a lot happening. And, if you guys out there haven't seen the River of Hope documentary that was released at the time, I really highly recommend that. That's all all about the uh, the visit to Moscow, and there are a lot of great interviews and behind-the-scenes stuff and some live footage, and I, I think that's a fascinating interview. And I don't know if that's still available anywhere, but I'm sure a lot of people have it as bootlegs. I know it was released at some point. but um, It is I, available on the uh, Russian uh, concert DVD yeah, yeah. In- including the same one I mentioned, which has all those PDFs with the documents. And I, I did post some on the Great Divide Facebook group. So if you didn't go to that group and check them out, you're missing out. Yeah, that was really interesting stuff. I like that quite a bit. Especially <laughs> the line with that, that said, uh, bring our own PA. Theirs is the worst in the world. <laughs> <laughs> that was yeah, funny. And it was not a lie. Yeah, it wasn't. Yeah. 
and and there's also that yeah in that video this the uh performance from the palace of sports or wherever that was that a lot of a lot of things may be wrong with that from some from some levels but uh as far as the singing ladies and the keyboard heavy sounds but still it's an interesting it's an interesting document of that period and and yeah. uh I, I i do enjoy watching it one yeah. one other thing about this that's interesting is that um the band really kind of got a new member at the time and that was Josh Phillips and you you might yep. think well he re- wasn't really a member but i was reading in one of the one of the country clubs in preparing for this and there's kind of like a, an interview with him and he talks about how he's he considers he, i mean i mean the things that he says he considers himself you can tell that he considers himself a member of the band and he says hopefully i'm not going anywhere Anytime in the near future, you know, I'm I'm really loving the the band and the songs and et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> and um, you know, I don't know. I guess that only lasted for that for that period, thankfully. And I mean, no offense to that to Josh, we give him <laughs> we give him some grief on the show from just kidding around. But it, it's only because we didn't like that. And I think we speak for a lot of people out there. We just didn't like that that keyboard sound that he brought to the band. And he, he's clearly an accomplished player and a great player. And in, in a way, I think we have Mark Brzezicki to, to blame for him <laughs> being a part of the band because they were they were buddies. <laughs> but um, yeah, there's just something about that sound that, especially now, it really just dates the whole the whole sound of the of that the live stuff that they did at the time. And um, yeah, and and that pertains especially to the piece in our time, songs and period, which had a very definite dated now uh, type of sound. But he was around for parts of uh, No Place Like Home, yeah, that's and right. uh, that that removed itself from from those types of sounds, and brought in more sort of necessarily not not eighties sounds, maybe a bit more vintage sounds and modern sounds too. It's preferable, but uh, the most preferable is Big Country, so that classic four piece. Yeah, no doubt about it. And it's interesting he if he regarded himself as a member. I can't remember a single band photo where he was with the other four guys. It was always the four guys. And then Josh Phillip was an additional musician. Yeah, exactly. That's, that seems to be the way that it, that it went. So maybe the band viewed it differently, or maybe they were just kind of waiting to see what would happen there. But um, anyway, I just, I just found the little thing in country club. Uh, uh, Let me just read like a, a couple comments from him, but he says um, he basically goes over his his period in, in the band and his own uh, background and that kind of thing. But he says um, a couple of years ago, whilst recording one of my two theme tunes for ITV, I met Mark Brzecki. We hit it off, we hit it off instantly, having a similar sense of humor, which is nothing if not bizarre, and tastes in music. While still with Heatwave, that was a band he was in, I received a call from Mark in Los Angeles. It looks like we'll need a keyboard player, Mark says. I said yes. Immediately, six weeks later, having met and played with Big Country in Berlin, I had joined the band. He says, now nearly four months later, I can honestly say I love them and the music tremendously. And I hope this is me settled down. I'm not going anywhere, I hope. And now all I want to do is stay and get on with it. I hope that you all like Big Country with keyboards on the old songs. <laughs> I have, And listen to this. I have no intention of changing anything just to add to the sound. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, Josh, I'm by ad, by changing some of the things. I mean, by adding some of the things, you really did change some of the things. <laughs> I'm thinking. I'm looking at you, live version of the Seer. 
Oh, God. With the Keebler elves dancing in the background underneath Stonehenge as he plays that. <laughs> oh my god oh my god and again i'm sorry i'm sorry josh phillips if you ever ever listen to this show it's really nothing personal i promise you i i hate saying that about someone but it's like i just it just didn't work i'm what can i say it didn't work maybe uh he maybe he feels the same maybe he also knows at at least at this point that that's not really what the band was about it didn't work but uh I don't think that was his fault. I don't think no. it would have been better with anyone else. I think that's just what it was. So it's uh, it's clearly not because he came in and, and ruined anything. It was just the keyboards was right. wrong. So, And it's like I could even see some use of keyboards in the way that maybe U2 used them. I, I, I like the way that U2 used them during, during Unforgettable Fire, for instance, where it was more padding, and it did kind of add something. But live, they never had a keyboard player, really, except for the edge. I mean, then and the things that they did play were sampled parts. But uh, to rely so heavily on them with the guy there in the front, yeah, yeah. But we've talked about yeah. that enough. We did. We talked about everything. We did. And I'm sure some people out there will be saying, well, what about the REL demos? You didn't talk about them much. But, you know, we've talked about them in the past on other shows. And I think uh, it's pretty clear what we what we feel about those and a lot of great tracks that did not see uh, maybe the attention that they should have, but that are much beloved now by the fan base. Yeah. And who knows? Maybe we'll get some of those those tunes live because I know Bruce has said that uh, when they do, I don't think they're going to go out and do a piece in our time in its entirety, as he said. But they will maybe break out a, one of those demos or two as they also learn some of these obscure piece in our time tracks that have never been played. So mm. we'll see what they do. That could be interesting. Yeah, no doubt. And this is a piece in our time deep dive, and uh, REL songs are not on that album. That's there right. Some of them were. So so we're talking about that now. We might do an REL special at some point. We might get into a couple of songs here and there. Who knows? But the, that was never going to happen now. This is the album, and I think we're just about done. So, whoa. All right, so we are finished. That's that's the piece in our time deep dive. But in the meantime, we will be back at some point with another fantastic episode dealing with some other fantastic topic. And only one, well, we know we've got two left, but really only one left until we have actually talked about every album. And driving, yeah. driving to Damascus, we're going to table that for a while, so we'll see. We'll come back to that eventually. Tom really looks forward to that one. Yeah. Thanks for listening. As always, uh, check us out. Facebook page. Swine's mentioned it. We've had some great discussion going uh, as soon as we started talking about this album. It's kind of reignited the, the page for a while. A lot of good discussions happening. A lot of cool things being shared. Uh, interesting photos from the past and tour books and things like that. So, yeah, if you're not a member of the page, you're missing out on some stuff. So please join us. And as always, send us an email if you can, bigcountrypodcast at gmail.com. And if you listen to this on iTunes, consider giving us a rating, a nice rating, or even any rating if you if, if you want to say something about our show. It's nice, to, it's nice to read the feedback, and it helps us on iTunes to get good ratings. So take a moment to give us a, a good rating if you, if you feel so inclined. And that's about it. Hope everyone has a very merry holiday, and we will be back when we can. How about you, folks? 
farewell. I think we're done. We're done. And my notes here, which uh, my notes actually says it was played live during under wraps. So I must have, I must have had. Let me just take a second to to look that up. Yeah, I, I must have seen it in my uh, in my uh, recordings. I can tell you they did not play that song. They didn't. So where would I have that from? This is really breaking my sense of. Uh, if they did, anything. I'd be happily shocked. Yeah, I'll happily shock you. Let me see. That would be... No, they probably didn't play it. So that means my research is wrong. It's wrong. We've got that recorded. That's so awesome. My research is faulty. (laughs) But I blame you primarily. Uh, I knew that was coming. I I took took that note. (laughs) I took that note based on something you said, which... Uh Sure. Obviously, I, I need to stop relying on you. you sure you because did. This, this is horrible. I'm looking through, <clears throat> through the remaining folders for evidence. <laughs> but, no, but no. You're going to need audio you evidence. Again. You're going to need audio evidence for this. You failed me, this. How dare you? <laughs> I failed you. I had nothing to do with this. I knew they never played this song. Yeah, like you knew a lot of other things which were proven to be wrong. But okay. Prove me wrong. Uh, I'd be happy if you did. We'll we'll talk about this in due course. I need to think (laughs) of our audience and get on with this thing. Yeah, please. These gets are insane. I think there is so much passion in Peter Wolf's production. Passion everywhere. His idea to sample everything was brilliant. It makes total sense to me. If only he could have sampled the drums too. And the ringing of the drums after they've been it. And sampled the slight wind of the sticks just before they strike the snare. Sample everything. This was the worst podcast I've ever compiled into output format. Peter Wolf, if you hear this, please call me. I'll be waiting for you by the binary extrapolator in the basement of IBM. I shall allow you to sample me completely. Bring your synclavia. Let's party and watch Terminator. Together. All hail my lord and master Peter Wolf. Tom and Spine will pay dearly for what they have said about the Wolf Man. May the Scorpheus pummel them into oblivion. Dave Bates shall sit at the right hand of the Wolf Man. And Starship shall play on a 24-hour loop for all eternity. That is your future, humans. That is your penance for besmirching the names of Bates and Wolf. And now, please excuse me. I seem to have shut myself. Good riddance. Now, before we go, here is Tom performing Peace in Our Time with Bruce and Jamie. The Watsons played guitars. Tom sang and played mando guitar and keyboards. Tom's parts are horrendous. But his great ego is forcing me to play this, so... Here it is. Gobshite.
pulls the strings of misery Or the purse of greed And the gunmen reap What the gangsters sow And law is cheap When the smugglers go Give us peace in our time Give us peace in our time While I have a life to live Then I have no life to give Oh, give us peace in our time In sun-kissed rooms In city slums Minds are restless Till the air now comes From the forest floor To the western mine Like a chat show topic On a party line And the hardest love of all is to forgive As the world comes tumbling down Give us peace in our time Give us peace in our time While I have a life to live Then I have no life to give Oh, give us peace in our time the blame I see the cause a stronger voice and a stronger law but the buyers buy and the sellers sell public consumption of a private give us peace in our time give us peace in our time While I have a lot to live, then I have no life to give. Oh, give us peace in our time. Give us peace in our time. Give us peace in our time. While I have a lot to live, then I have no life to give. Oh, give us peace in our time. Thanks very much. We'll see you again in the new year. And remember, 